Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Recently, many of you shared your New Year's hopes and dreams with us. We heard you wanted to dine out, go to graduations, travel... It became clear that we are exhausted and we are even grieving for the kind of life that we've lost in the past year. I think it's fair to say that we would all love for our lives to go back to normal. But the fact is we are approaching the second year of this coronavirus nightmare. And things aren't really going well. Every day thousands of people are dying, hospitals are overwhelmed, the vaccine rollout is happening, but it's behind schedule. And on top of that, there are new, more transmissible variants of the virus, like the one identified in the UK, which has already found its way to 35 countries. I don't want to mince words, and you probably already know this. We're going to get through this, but the next few months are likely to be dark and painful. For many of us, it's become hard to even imagine or remember what normal life could be. But you know what? There are parts of the world where COVID-19 has not wrought the same destruction, and life has resumed. Asia-Pacific, especially, has emerged relatively unscathed. And places like New Zealand and Taiwan and Singapore, they're doing really pretty well. But what does that mean exactly? What does doing pretty well mean in the midst of a pandemic? Emily Liu, one of our associate producers, is from Singapore. And she went home last month. Singapore has reported fewer than 60,000 cases of COVID-19 since last January. Now, early on in the pandemic, they did go into a strict lockdown and impose severe travel and quarantine restrictions. They've got a population of about five and a half million people, and Singapore has had just 29 deaths total. So today, we're going to join Emily as she returns home, and we're going to get a glimpse of a place where life is pretty much like it was before the coronavirus. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. So right now I'm sitting in my seat on the flight from Qatar to Singapore, which is the second leg of my trip. Singapore is quite literally halfway around the world from the United States, an island nation about the size of New York City. We're just north of the equator. So it's summer all year round, punctuated by periods of torrential rain. It's been so long since I last took a plane. It's weird. The plane is so empty. Like I look around and I count less than 10 people. To get home, I took two flights. The journey took a total of 36 hours. And when I finally arrived, I had another 14 days ahead of me in quarantine before I could see my family. We've just landed in uh, Singapore Changi Airport. 
Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we remind you to wear your face mask and face shield while you disembark the aircraft. Thank you. Singapore's airport is usually one of the busiest in the world. It's usually packed with travelers and local Singaporeans coming to the airport mall for food and shopping. But this time, the airport was eerily empty. All the duty-free stores were closed. There was security personnel everywhere, and the only passengers I saw were the ones from my flight. Okay, we're, I'm heading down into the arrival hall. Hi. Your health declaration. Uh, yes, I have it. Okay, so I just passed through immigration. They basically just checked my passport and the health declaration form that I had to fill in before I left New York. Once they checked everything, the guy gave me a yellow sticker, which is supposed to be some sort of indication for where I'm supposed to be headed. In typical Singapore fashion, everything happened like clockwork. Within half an hour of landing, I had my luggage, was ushered onto a bus, and taken to the hotel where I would be quarantined. If this were a normal trip, I would just hop in a taxi and head home to my family. But in the age of COVID-19, it's going to be two weeks before I can see any of them in person. Instead, I'm brought to a hotel assigned to me and paid for by the Singapore government. This is not the routine for everyone, of course. Non-residents have to pay for their own quarantine stay, and people coming from countries with low COVID risk may choose to quarantine at home with an electronic monitoring device. So over here, Miss Lee, you'll be staying with us from today to the 24th. Can I just check with you if you have any food allergies? No. Okay, great. Then if that's the case, I'll put you uh, down for the chef choice meal assignment. Okay. okay. Uh, so the, the room key, is it... I mean, I cannot leave the room. Correct, yes. So this is a one-time key. So after you enter the room, it will be deactivated. Ah, uh, mm. okay. Right. <laughs> okay, thank you. Right. Thank you very much. It may be tough to hear, but basically the hotel clerk just told me that once I go into my room, the room key is deactivated and I can't leave. Okay, I made it to my hotel room. It's a tiny room. Like a queen bed, a small desk, and that's about it. Walking along the hallway, you, you notice that they put these like little table-side desks wrapped in plastic right outside your door, which is where they'll leave your meals every day. And I guess this is where I will be for the next two weeks. Back in March, the government began implementing a blanket travel restriction. People entering Singapore were required to serve a 14-day stay-home notice, or SHN, upon arrival. When I checked in, the hotel gave me a QR code, which I scanned on my phone, to open up the welcome letter from the Singapore Tourism Board. The letter listed the potential costs of violating quarantine restrictions. Here's some of the stuff the letter said. If you fail to comply with the requirements of the SHN, you will put the health of others at risk and may face the following penalties. Wi-Fi may be compromised. On a scholarship, your scholarship provider may be notified of your infringement under Section 21A of the Infectious Diseases Act. Your re-entry permit or passes may be revoked, and you may be barred from entering Singapore in future. 
Singapore means it when it comes to rules and penalties. A man who breached a stay-at-home notice to go out and run errands pleaded guilty to exposing others to the risk of infection. Safe distancing enforcement officers have had to deal with more than 130 cases of non-compliance in the first 11 days of this month. Last year, more than 100 people were deported or had their work passes revoked because of quarantine and safe distancing violations. I had come all this way, so I was definitely not going to risk anything. Besides, I've been a hermit for most of the year in New York City anyway. What was another two weeks? Aside from working some weird hours, quarantine wasn't so bad. The meals provided by the hotel did get a little monotonous. And I had a visitor. There is a cockroach in my room! It's a tiny baby one. But it is here, which means that there are more. It's all the food that I've been stockpiling. My family drove by a few times. They would stop at the side of the road behind the hotel. Can you see a car? Oh, yeah, okay. I see, see I see you. Yeah, I see you. Hello. And we would wave to each other through the window while talking on the phone. <laughs> hey, hello. Hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello mama. <laughs> my parents call me Jia sometimes, which is my Chinese nickname. Twice during my stay, officials from the Immigration and Checkpoints Authority knocked on my door just to make sure I was around. Both times I was sleeping, and they wouldn't stop knocking until I opened the door. On day 9, I was tested for COVID-19. I went down to the hotel lobby, which was transformed into a test site. Staff in full PPE guided me and the quarantine guests quickly through registration and then the PCR swab test. Hi. Hi. Any cold cough, fever, sorto, running nose? No. No. The next day, they called me to tell me I tested negative, thankfully. And then finally, it was checkout day. Okay, so I'm all packed. Um, feels weird. <laughs> I kind of got used to this, like, limbo place. So I'm feeling anxious. Well, we'll see how it goes. It's Christmas Eve, and I am getting out of quarantine. My parents came to the hotel to pick me up. Oh, I see them. Yeah, hello. Mama, Mama say hi. Hello, hi. <laughs> Daddy. Hi, Emily. <laughs> wow, you're out of prison, Emily. Yes, I'm out of prison. <laughs> The hardest part about going home was deciding to. Like a lot of people, I spent most of 2020 alone, holed up in my New York apartment, only stepping out for groceries and for walks. When the pandemic arrived in the United States last spring, many fellow Singaporeans, including a few of my friends, fled home. Healthcare was just one of those things that we know Singapore would get right. But I didn't go home then. I stayed in New York City, as it became the epicenter of COVID-19 in America. I watched the city turn into a ghost town, heard the sirens through the night, and passed large mobile morgues on my neighborhood walks. Meanwhile, things played out differently in Singapore. Every week when I called my parents, they would always be so worried about how I was doing, but it always seemed like things were fine on their side. It will now be mandatory for everyone to wear masks when they go out. 
When cases peaked last April, the country went into a strict lockdown, locally known as the circuit breaker policy. The rules were enforced and came with penalties. Police officers and safe distancing ambassadors patrolled public spaces. People have been fined thousands of dollars for hosting parties at home. And it's not just the host. Guests who went to those parties were also fined. In the first week of the lockdown alone, more than 6,000 people were warned and 500 fined for violating social distancing protocol. The penalties were harsh, but they worked. Cases declined after the lockdown went into effect. And while they picked up somewhat in the summer, they have stayed low since. In total, Singapore has had less than 60,000 cases and just 29 deaths. But Singapore also has its problems. A majority of those 60,000 cases, more than 90%, came from cramped dormitories where mostly South Asian low-wage workers lived. The government has been criticized for its treatment of those workers during the pandemic. Almost half of them have tested positive for the virus. Recently, the government also came under fire for allowing police to access data that's been collected from the local contact tracing app. Lockdown in Singapore ended on June 1st, 2020. Since then, the country has gradually reopened in phases. We're now in phase three of the reopening. I asked my sister Vivian about how her life has been in Singapore. Do you think people feel like it's mostly over the pandemic? Actually, yeah, I would say so. I think in Singapore, we kind of went back to normal. The only thing is that we have to adhere to all these rules, right? We have to wear a mask all the time when we're out, except for when we're eating or drinking. And we cannot gather in larger groups than eight. Oh, we do have to check in wherever we go. So if you go to an indoor place, we will have to check in because the government has this program where they trace everyone. But other than that, I think... Most people see it as normal and then they see these measures as just a little bit of a nuisance in their lives, but they don't really feel the fear and paranoia about the disease. What was it like to follow the news about the COVID situation in the US, knowing I was there? I think even for the average Singaporean who did not have a family member in the US, watching the news about the US was just, I mean, it's beyond words. How it spread, how... Not just how the government handles it, but also how the people handle it, how people respond to um, government initiatives, how people respond to medical advice. I think it's very, probably very unrelatable for any Singaporean to imagine, you know, people denying that wearing masks would help, for example. On my end, because I'm your sister, obviously that was a very real concern for your safety. So how do you feel now that I am back? At first... I wasn't sure why you wanted to come back. My instinct was that it's unwise to be coming back at this point in time. To travel, especially in the US, like traveling from the US seemed unwise. Like it would be so horrible if you have taken all these precautions for so many months and then just because you you took a trip and then you caught it. But obviously I'm happy and you're back as in like you got a negative COVID test. Like yay, (laughs) that's the best part. Kind of dreading you going back though, because then you have to do that all over again. The whole like traveling, wearing a face shield, yeah. So where are we? We are in a Singaporean, what they call a coffee shop, or it can also be called a hawker center. It's basically like a food court. Yeah, we used to come here a lot. Because it's like so near our house, like five minute drive. 
Plus, the food is nice. After I got home on Christmas Eve, my family went to one of our favorite neighborhood eateries for dinner. The food court was packed with people at every table. There were many older folks chilling and having a beer. Except for the fact that everyone was wearing a mask, it almost felt like there wasn't a pandemic. Of course, food places do have restrictions. Customers are limited to groups of eight people to a table, and tables have to be three to four feet apart for social distancing. Practically, though, you could barely feel the difference. For the first time in months, I was able to walk into a place without having to go through all the mental gymnastics of, you know, calculating how much risk I was taking. Was it worth it? Do I really want to do this? And everyone seemed so comfortable. I can't even remember the last time I'd been around this many people in such proximity. Is it usually this crowded? It feels quite weird coming from the U.S. <laughs> There's a lot of people here. <laughs> hmm. It's usually not so crowded, especially not so early in the night. I think it's because it's Christmas Eve. When the drinks came, I took off my mask and settled in. Being in a place where everyone else was chill, it was surprisingly easy to let go of the anxieties that had dictated so much of my life last year. It was like muscle memory. Ah, Assam fish head. It's one of the typical Nanya food items. It's our favorite. It looks so good. <laughs> it is. For months, I weighed the idea of going home to Singapore, but the risks never seemed to justify it. But as the year went from bad to worse, I worried about my mental health, which was already pretty fragile. And in the end, one day I decided that I just needed to do this. I'm glad I did. It's really nice to be back. Emily, wow! I have to tell you, I'm envious of what you guys have over there in Singapore. I hope you get to enjoy and make the most of it, especially for all of us here who can't yet do the same. The lesson, I think, is that when lockdown is done right, it, it does work. We missed out on that opportunity months ago, but I believe that we can learn from our missteps. If we double down on the vaccine rollout, and if all of us keep doing our part, the sooner we will turn this around and see our lives get close to normal again. It's going to happen. It's just a question of when and how much harm will occur in the meantime. Let's all please do our part. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening. Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episodes were produced by Anne Lagamayo, Rachel Cohn, Emily Liu, Aaron Mathewson, Madeline Thompson, Zach St. Louis, and Zoe Saunders. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Nathan Miller is our engineer, and David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio.
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.